This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, April 6th of 2017, it's episode 108. In this episode, The Third Commandment, part of our series on the Ten Commandments, plus our favorite stories from the table, beer wars in space, catching up on our gaming, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. And I'm Jenny. And I'm not dead. Hey! Yay! Yeah! <laughs> and this is good. Hooray. This is very good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we've been sick for a month in the Woodward household, and it's been lovely, let me tell you. I have not seen the inside of my office for two weeks. <laughs> yeah, oh my it's, goodness. it's been crazy. I am incredibly glad I work at a good job where sick time gets banked and doesn't get dropped at the end of the year, that kind of thing. Ooh, that is nice. I have never had that. <laughs> Vacation time does, but sick time does not. And I'm so glad that I have saved up like a month of sick time because I needed it this past couple of weeks. <laughs> no kidding. Because <sighs> um, the little one got, the, the one-year-old got hand, foot, and mouth disease, which is just unpleasant. Oh. It spreads around everywhere, causes coughs and rashes and just gross stuff. And then we had a, another bug going around. I got the flu, hand, foot, mouth disease was just getting passed around throughout the house, and then right as I was recovering from the flu, my wife got the flu. There's just been a literal month of illness. All of March has been, let's be sick. It's just, uh, not fun. Anyway, that's been my month. How are y'all? <laughs> Better than that. <laughs> good. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's been, uh, pretty good. Exams are, are coming up for me. So uh, I've, I've been working on those. I think I only actually have the one exam that acts like a test. The other ones are just like big assignments. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, hopefully I don't fail everything, but we'll see. There's two of my three classes I'm not doing the best in, but I'm sorry to hopefully hear that. The, the profs will be merciful. <laughs> <laughs> I only have one class, but I'm doing okay in that. So I've got about five, six weeks left in the semester or something like that. So I, I know that post-secondary ends a lot earlier in Canada than in the States, but all of our primary and secondary stuff goes up until July sometimes. So, you know, Ew. balances out. I graduated on the 1st of July. Weird. Gross. I think it was sometime in May. I, I guess I can say that I also have tests, but those are software tests that I have to run, not mm. actual exams. And I get graded by the number of angry uh, customers calling me, so, you know. Uh, that's like a golf score kind of thing. You want to keep that as low as possible. Yeah, basically. It's kind of <laughs> weird because um, everybody in the company helps out with software testing, which is nice. And it works for me because I'm, you know, I manage the support team at my company. And so we know how customers use our software and we can test kind of with the customer approach in mind, which is really nice. It's different from engineering testing, right? Or even just, you know, our testing department. But we also hear it when people aren't happy with the software. <laughs> and so it's like, well, we really need to make sure this stuff works, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you go to the engineering team and you're like, look, I've had such language used against me that we're recording an episode about the third commandment on my <laughs> podcast today. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, it, we actually have very nice customers. One of the nice things about doing software for IT departments is we are dealing with professionals and mm. that helps a lot. Who generally know what they're doing, so that's good. Generally speaking, there's always one or two who are in over their heads, 
and there's always one or two who are rude. But by and large, we're dealing with professional, competent people who like us and what we do and are generally not rude. It's it's a yeah, nice They've just got a job to do and they mm-hmm. need your help to do it. So. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So who's been playing interesting stuff while I've been gone? Uh, uh, Mass Effect? I, yeah. I Honestly, I have not played much more Mass Effect than when we last recorded. I've been focusing very, very hard on Guild Wars 2. Um, so Fair. I've almost hit the level cap now. I'm very excited about that. Cool. Wow. I've played a little bit of League of Legends, and then I started playing uh, Pokemon Fire Red with my four-and-a-half-year-old daughter, because she loves <laughs> Pokemon, and we've been having some fun with that. Yeah, and I know you and I have been watching the Amonkhet spoilers very closely. And geeking out pretty hard, yes. Oh, uh, This yes. is the forthcoming Magic the Gathering set, which honestly just looks broken at this point. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it looks pushed. Really, really pushed. I will go so far as to say busted. Yeah, shoved, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Tripped and thrown down a flight of stairs, maybe? Um, <laughs> That's previous sets. I, I, I actually uh, posted a picture of some bananas <laughs> in the comment thread on one of the cards. I mean, it's just... <laughs> yeah. It does look ridiculous. Yeah, it, it's going to be cool. Yep. Uh, one other quick note. Finally got to play Fellowship again. I had to, Chrissy and I both had to miss the previous session, but got to play Fellowship last night. (laughs) See the aforementioned note about plague? (laughs) Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Chrissy was still a little sick, but she hung in there pretty well, and we had a lot of fun. Let me put it this way. She whipped out an umbrella and rode a geyser of water up into the air, dragging my character with her. (laughs) Okay, then. (laughs) And that's how we got to the top of the lighthouse. (laughs) How very Mary Poppins. Well, yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Understand, it was because we didn't want to take the stairs. <laughs> okay. The stairs were counterclockwise, and that was a bad omen. Okay. It's been that kind of game. Very silly. Like, that that wonderful, let's be silly, let's be serious. Let's be silly, let's be serious. It's been a lot of fun. We've been having a blast with it. And I keep taking powers that completely ruin the game for uh, the GM, and I, I have to keep apologizing to him. <laughs> My character class is kind of weird. It's this prophet kind of class, Gandalf, basically. And anytime you're playing Gandalf, you kind of have to be careful, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The character is powerful, but he in a game where connections between player characters are critical, he has a very limited ability to form connections. He's powerful, but he tires easily and just can't form bonds with other characters well, which is cool. But let me put it this way. I got to advance, pick up a new power at the end of last session. And these were my choices. The evil eye above or mysterious fires. Evil eye above. Dooms follows you, but you are ready for it. I'm reading off my character sheet here. When the minions of the overlord approach, the overlord's player, this is the GM basically, must tell you before they arrive. I get to know when the bad guys are coming. When you know the overlord's plans, you may ask them, what is one way I could stop this? And they must answer truthfully. Oh, boy. Oh, man. Now compare that to the ability Mysterious Fires. Start a fire on something flammable that you can see. It starts small, but will grow rapidly if left unchecked. (laughs) Which of these do you think I'm going to (laughs) take? The first one? Uh, Yeah. Because I would take that one. And that's the thing. Like, these are my choices. And so it's like, I'm really sorry, GM. But it's this or matches. Yeah. And I'm not going to take matches. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I keep giving him headaches and it's it's been a lot of fun because it makes him think. I feel bad doing it because it's his first time GMing. Oh. 
You know but, something, though? Sometimes getting stretched like that the first time you're out makes everything that comes after easier, so... Yeah, oh, I'm, yeah. Just, I'm trying really hard not to... Abuse complete, it? Yeah, abuse it, yeah. Because I know it's his first time gymming, and I'm trying to be careful of it, you know. Anyway, fun game. It's going well. I keep coming up with things to talk about on the show, which is always a good sign for a game, right? Definitely. Oh, yeah. Peter, you and I haven't gamed in about a month due to illness. <laughs> um, yeah, not all of it from your family, actually. I, yeah. Once again, you know, I'm... I'm apparently slacking on getting sick, but everybody else in our gaming group has taken at least one turn, so... <laughs> I'll have the one-year-old rub his hands on something and cough on it, and I'll mail it to you. How's that? Mail it to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, I think my immune system would probably just kill it. It's... I'm fortunate that way. Retail do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 17-plus years of retail will really do that. Yeah, tell me about it. Jenny, how about you? Any uh, tabletop gaming? Uh, Actually, no, not really, because our GM went to Boston for a week and a bit so well how dare they ah <laughs> uh, yeah no how dare he have fun how dare he play other games without us it's like he's cheating on us it's i know awful. terrible yeah. terrible <laughs> scandalous <laughs> <laughs> one quick note that i do want to throw out there and this is purely personal peter and jenny don't drink but i occasionally have a beer uh and i do like craft beer and there's a brand new brewery that opened in charleston the brewery is called snafu brewery I have this sour on my desk, their Snafu Tang. It is so good. So if you are in Charleston, I encourage you to look this up. It's delicious. And there goes Grant making me jealous of something that I just can't enjoy, despite a couple of attempts to in my life. No, no, listen, listen, I don't blame you, right? And I drink very rarely because it's expensive. But occasionally I like having a beer, and this one is really tasty. Like mouth-puckering sour. It's delicious. All right, then. Briefly, while we are on the topic of beer, I just have to say, you know that uh, the Trappist-1 system, the system that they found with a bunch of Earth-like planets? Yes. I will I will be actually so angry if they name those planets after anything but the original Trappist breweries that they named the system itself after. I will be actually angry about it. Yeah, or <laughs> name them after, like, different styles or something. But But here's the thing. Trappist is literally breweries. It's a bunch of Belgian, French, and German breweries in monasteries. And if they don't name them after the monasteries, I mean, that'll just be disappointing. And each each monastery has like this specific style of beer that they do. Apparently, when they started selling cases of it in America, it was expensive. It was like mm-hmm. some $100 per case. Yeah, because it's a very limited supply. They only did a certain amount, and they only did it to fund renovations to the monastery. They weren't doing it for, like, profit. Uh, So it it was extremely expensive because limited supply and getting it in the U.S. Mm -hmm. from Europe is naturally more expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I'll also be a little bit sad if they don't because it's the perfect number. There's eight breweries, like eight original breweries – and there's seven planets in the sun. Oh, yeah, it's perfect. Like, it, it matches up so well. If they don't name those planets after those breweries, I will be disappointed. Yeah, and then we all know exactly where all the you know beer enthusiasts will flock to colonize. It'll be great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then, you know, the, this, the cities will have names like Pilsner and Lager. And <laughs> yeah, no, I just want literal space wars between, you know, devotees of particular beer styles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the people with the stout are coming with their capital ships again. Here we go. <laughs> Hashtag I just found my con game. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, that would be amazing. Oh, please, please do. Please do, Grant. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get off beer and on to our Patreon question, shall we? <laughs> sure. Right, it's, it's even more ridiculous. Uh, let's roll a die. Hey, this is from Richard Lorenz, a regular contributor of ours. And oh, this question is kind of big because we like big questions. I love hearing at the table stories. So what is your favorite story from the table? Um, This is kind of a big question. Yeah. I think mine has to be the time when my character died and I said, oh, thank God. And walked away. <laughs> I'm not sure I even want context. I, I think I may just... <laughs> okay. The GM was not very good. Oh. Okay. And by not very good, I mean that this was a game where the numbers were made up and the points didn't matter. Oh. D&D 3-5 average stat for high level characters is like what 14 15 you know you have your one good stat that stuff happens with it maybe gets up to 20 maybe if it's a high power game like 24 26 if you have lots of buffs to it i was playing a cleric 17th level i think i didn't have a stat under 60 <clears throat> in dnd my spellcasting stat was over 100 here's what i quickly discovered Understand, I was at the low end of power in terms of numbers for all of the characters in this game, because I joined late, and I didn't have all the ridiculous nonsense the GM was giving out. This was the Monty Hallist of Monty Holliest games, okay? <laughs> this is like Monty backed up a semi. Yeah, mm-hmm. it really is. And it was, it was this bizarre amalgam, the setting of Forgotten Realms and Halo. Okay. I'll let you work that one out on your own. If my ears start bleeding, I'm blaming you. You're welcome. <laughs> Again, illness. This is me giving you something to be sick with. Here. <laughs> oh, thank you. The GM was a incredibly misogynist, racist jerk, which was not particularly fun. And remember I said the, the points didn't matter and the numbers were made up? The GM had this sort of cinematic idea of how long every combat should go. Nothing we did mattered until a certain number of rounds had passed, at which point we, whatever we did was enough to kill the guy. Oh. And understand, he made everyone roll everything, including all of the ridiculous bonuses that had been granted. So each turn, like each player's turn took about 10 minutes. That's and just excessive. It was excessive. It was incredibly tedious because nothing we did mattered in the slightest until it was time to win. And I hope you can hear the air quotes around that. <laughs> oh, I can. Oh, yeah. And the dramatic capitals, for that matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anytime I came up with something creative, he had not really planned on having a divine spellcaster in the group, much less somebody who actually read the player's handbook and thought, oh, hey, I can use this. <laughs> I am very good at breaking D&D 3.5. Um, and mm-hmm. so you know, I'd, I'd whip something out and honestly kind of rules lawyer my way around a few things because I was getting frustrated. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess that, that does that. Um, it won't work next time. <laughs> okay. What? <laughs> yeah. And so it just, it got incredibly tedious very quickly. I'm not going to get into all the, the rules nonsense, but he kept trying to justify it by making up new rules and adding new powers to opponents and that sort of thing. And understand, there was nothing except combat in this game. Role-playing was get on your railroad and watch the scene for a bit. 
and I'm mixing metaphors there, but I don't care. <laughs> I hated this game. It deserves every mixed metaphor it gets. Um, and so at the end of the third session I was in, character died because character death happened all the time. And I had this moment of clarity where I said, wait, I'm free. <laughs> and like, uh, I resurrect him. My character doesn't want to come back. He's happy in the afterlife. <laughs> I'm Y'all free. Have fun. And I just got up and ran to the kitchen going, oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a terrible game. It lasted about two years for the other players. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I, wow. I was lucky to get out when I did. It was apparently miserable the guy has gotten slightly better but apparently still isn't great to game with i don't think they've let him gm since that game i'll say that uh and you know supposedly he has gotten better as a player and as a person so that's good to hear but at the but time it still doesn't make you want to game with them again yeah it left a, a very bad taste in my mouth yes yeah so that's that was mine was standing up and going i'm free and <laughs> run, literally running away from the table <laughs> Top that, you two. Come on. Uh, no! I think I, 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 I might be able to. You know, I oh might boy. be able to. Let's I, hear it. I mean, honestly, probably not. Um, This was at a con game when I was... It was either late high school, very early college. It couldn't have been more than first year. And I was uh, at specifically uh, Can Games up in Ottawa. Hmm. And um, I honestly, I wish I remembered more about this game because I remember that it was a riot. I just don't remember much of the rest of the game i just remember this one moment it was an old old superhero system or not not old old but it was something like marvel superhero system from the 90s something like that um oh, I, was it like point based where you you didn't roll maybe, dice maybe maybe you had like red remember. and white chips i don't remember any red and white chips i do okay. remember some kind of chart that involved intensity of something that's literally okay. all i remember oh um, oh yeah okay i don't remember <laughs> okay. the name of it but i've heard of it <laughs> okay so i was playing a character whose power was super speed i believe it was either i, I think it was a combination super speed and lightning type of thing she was a very impulsive character and um we were trying to sneak into this old lady's house for some reason and trick her into giving us something, giving giving us the MacGuffin. I was used as the distraction. So I knocked on on the door. Uh, she let me in. And um, <laughs> and she's a lovely old lady. And she sits me down t for tea. And I'm across the dining room table from her. And we're just sipping tea. And um, all of a sudden, I see one of the other uh, characters in the house in the kitchen behind us and i'm looking into the kitchen and she's got her back to the kitchen and so this character is just we make eye contact and uh the gm had him roll a stealth roll of some kind and he failed and so i instantly just like i throw my tea <laughs> and the table just kind of exploded into laughter and that was probably one of the best moments i've ever had <laughs> in a game ever nice just throwing boiling hot tea at an old lady. Oh. <laughs> and, yeah. And then we had to escape the house. And that was probably my favorite. That's pretty high up there. I know if it's my favorite, but it's the first one that came to mind. So Awesome. All right, Peter, you had us cut out your previous answer. Let's hear it. Jenny, your mother is actually responsible for this one. I think I know what you're talking about. She, the, she talks about this a lot, too. <laughs> yes, the very first 
Fear the Con that I made it to the entirety of, as opposed to one where I showed up for just part of it, was also the first one where she ran her annual Trouble with Rose game. Yep. (laughs) That initial game included a number of people that played off of each other spectacularly well and basically turned into some kind of Disney movie about halfway through. (laughs) One of the really wacky zany ones, like, oh, say, Emperor's New Groove or the (laughs) Robin Hood one. And we managed to maintain that throughout the entire four hours of the slot. My voice was non-functional for the second day of the con from doing my (laughs) suicidally brave and heroic mouse character's voice. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah. Like, I remember that game. I was not in it, but I remember the laughter and loudness coming from your table. Well, and like... Okay, so Bill Little, who does another podcast whose name is escaping me at the moment. Uh, Tuning sorry, Japanese. Thank you. That's that's what it's. Tuning Japanese. Okay. We'll link it in the show notes. I, I, for the record, I don't think I've listened to it. Uh, I can't say anything yeah, about I, language, I, content, yeah. etc. Uh, but Bill's a great guy, so I can't yeah, assume Bill's, it's terrible. Bill's kind of a friend of ours. So at any rate, he was in there and uh, he had some great moments and just so many other people that it was it was like the perfect mix of humor chemistry and late in the day convention punchiness and it was just magic mm-hmm. so that is definitely mine and i can't believe that i didn't think of that when I was <laughs> hey i didn't think of the one where i played voldo in anger management therapy so uh, okay fair <laughs> enough yeah we all have awesome stories i'm sure but we should at some point Move on to our actual topic here. Yeah, because we've got a doozy of one here. We do. Richard, Mm -hmm. thank you for a very good question. Uh, Big questions that give us a chance to tell ridiculous stories. Always good. Uh, If you want to get your question on our list, of course, support us on Patreon. Uh, Any pledge amount gets you access to that list. You just get to send us a question and we'll add it to it. Uh, And of course, you know, your Patreon support helps keep us on the air. The show is 100% listener funded. You pay for all of our costs, and we cannot thank you enough for that. It gives us a lot of leeway to make the show what we want and what you want. So, thank you. Find us at uh, patreon.com slash saving the game. Okay, let's move on to our scripture here. I would like to take this first one, and then I will leave you guys to figure out the rest. Okay. Alrighty. So this is Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Uh, this is Exodus twenty twenty four. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. And we have Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair, white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. And James uh, chapter 5, verse 12. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. So our topic tonight is, at least by the numbering we're using, the third commandment. 
couple of interesting notes about this commandment. First, like I said, I, I mentioned the numbering system. Those of you who remember our first episode on the Ten Commandments may recall we talked a little bit about different commandment numberings that different traditions have. For us, this is the third commandment, as Protestants and Calvinists specifically, except for Jenny, who's not especially Calvinist. Mm, I'm not either. Okay, as the sole Calvinist around here, we're kind of just going by the general Calvinist-Protestant numbering system. It doesn't particularly matter. We're covering all of the text, but just to kind of give you some reference, for us, this is the third commandment. I kind of want to pull to explain this a little more from the Roman Catholic Catechism, which does a good job explaining a lot of different elements of this particular commandment. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. I will link this in the show notes. There's a useful summary at the bottom, but all of the text is valuable. Even those of us who are not Catholic, I think we'll get a lot out of this because there are a lot of little details in here that we could spend a great deal of time talking about. But here's uh, the first piece of this catechism. Among all the words of Revelation, there is one which is unique, the revealed name of God. God confides his name to those who believe in him. He reveals himself to them in his personal mystery. The gift of a name belongs to the order of trust and intimacy. Quote, the Lord's name is holy. For this reason, man must not abuse it. He must keep it in mind in silent, loving adoration. He will not introduce it into his own speech except to bless, praise, and glorify it. So let's talk about that before we move on. First, there is this very unique bit of text that we see in Exodus where God gives us his name. It's almost never used again, either in Hebrew translations, in English translations, in any other translation, I believe. We can get into naming conventions later, but we see it once and then and know it, and then from then on, we usually just say the Lord. Yeah. This is a gift of trust and intimacy, and I, I particularly like this piece of the catechism because God is saying, this is who I really am. And that gift is something that we cannot take for granted and cannot use and abuse. And it it is right to bless and praise and glorify that name. Uh, One particular bit that I did want to call out a little bit later in this section of the Catechism, quote, It is also blasphemous to make use of God's name to cover up criminal practices, to reduce peoples to servitude, to torture persons or put them to death. The misuse of God's name to commit a crime can provoke others to repudiate religion. This is an interesting point because by tying bad things to that name, you sully the name and you sully the person, in this case God, that that name belongs to. And I think we can we could talk about that a great deal in role-playing game terms, but I think as Christians, that's something we really should remember. You know, if we are doing something in God's name, we are essentially saying this is the nature of God. I am representing God with those actions, and if those are unchristian actions, then other people will look at and say, well, I see what Christianity really is, and I don't want any part of that. And so it's something that we all need to be very careful of. Yeah, definitely. Uh, To move on a little bit more, and this is quoting again from the Catechism, the second commandment forbids false oaths. Taking an oath or swearing is to take God as witness to what one affirms. It is to invoke the divine truthfulness as a pledge of one's own truthfulness. An oath engages the Lord's name. You shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him and swear by his name. In Matthew, we hear Christ saying, do not swear an oath at all. You know, Christ is essentially saying, 
your words should be enough. And if you're pulling God into that oath, again, you're you're tying God into that in ways that you may not be able to live up to. <laughs> may not? <laughs> well, yes, obviously. It is worth pointing out that we're talking about false oaths here. Rejecting false oaths is a duty to God. Now, St. Paul, and generally speaking, the tradition of the church following him, has understood, and I'm quoting from the Catechism here as well, has understood Jesus' words as not excluding oaths made for grave and right reasons. For example, it's okay to swear to tell the truth in court. Okay. An oath that is the invocation of the divine name as a witness to truth cannot be taken unless in truth. So, you know, if you are swearing to tell the truth and you live up to that, that is a good reason to take that oath, to affirm to others that your words are true, and by telling the truth, preach through action and word the truthfulness of God. Uh, last thing I want to talk about is baptism. And it seems weird to talk about baptism as part of this third commandment, right? But when we go through baptism, the, the words that are used, both uh, in the Catholic Church, when I was baptized, when my daughter was baptized, when my son will be baptized, we baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so using that name sanctifies man. Uh, to quote again from the Catechism, you know, in baptism, the Lord's name sanctifies man and the Christian receives his name in the church. The Catechism goes on to talk about you know, names of saints, patron saints, etc. That's a specifically Roman Catholic thing. But the idea that man is sanctified under that name as part of baptism is something I think we don't think about very much. We have a name. We talked when we uh, did an episode not all that long ago about naming characters. We talked about being given a new name, the white stone with a name known only to himself and to God. Yeah. Uh, it's that, that same idea because God calls each of us by name. And everyone's name is sacred. It is a, a moniker for ourselves, an icon of us, and demands respect, just as God's name demands respect. Once again, listeners, if you haven't followed the link and watched that sermon, you really should. Yeah, you definitely need to. So there's there's kind of more to this, I think, than don't curse. I think we very often simplify this to don't curse, don't take the Lord's name in vain. But there's more to it than that. And I think that's something that, A, we need to be cognizant of as Christians, but also that we can use in games. You can use it as an element to, to bring up moral issues and proselytize. I'm not super fond of proselytizing in-game, but, you know, if, if it's an appropriate environment for that, also, frankly, it adds some complexity to your game, and I think that's valuable. And it adds a certain moral character to the game that I think we can't ignore. Even if it's not explicitly Christian, bringing some of these elements in, I think, sets the the bar for behavior and content in the game at a point that we would generally be happy with. Yeah, I can see that. To talk a little bit more about this, though, the name of God in general, modern Jews and ancient Jews as well, even you know the time when scripture was being written down, will not say the name of God or God. You know, certainly, the name written in scripture will n almost never be said. They're very, very careful. And many more conservative Christians will also do the same thing because the name of God is so important that even tangential references, titles, should not be desecrated or misused. I mentioned before, by the way, that there was some interesting stuff about uh, the name of God in Hebrew. Either of you heard the name Adonai? Yes, actually. Yes. Do you know what that is? I knew it was a, a term for father before I saw what you put in the 
outline, but apparently there's a little more to it than that. So why don't you dig into there? Yeah. So if you look at the text, and you'll see this in almost every English translation except possibly the most conversational English translation. Things like right? the, the message. Yeah, the mm-hmm. least formal translations. Uh, you will see in Exodus when God reveals himself to Moses and gives his name, right? I am who I am. In every other place, almost, you will see the Lord rather than the name of God. That is a translation of Adonai. Adonai is a plural of Adon, uh, which means Lord or Master or Father, right? And it's weird to th- say, wait, wait, that's a plural and we're using it for the Lord. There's this interesting thing where in Hebrew, the pluralization is a form of emphasis called a plural of majesty. It's used as a plural noun, but with singular verbs, right? The Lord says, Adonai says. It's kind of Lord of Lords is how it sort of ends up being translated. And that's one place where we get that that phrase, you know, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. A lot of grammatical systems in other languages, like French uses this, the the singular vous usage. You refer to um, a friend as tu, but mm-hmm. a boss or, or a superior as vous. Um, mm-hmm. using the plural for a single person. Right. In a way, it's sort of the royal we, but mm-hmm. different. I don't, I don't want to go too far down that road. Linguistically, very different, but sort of a similar concept. Now, when it's actually written down, Hebrew does not generally write vowels. Uh, there are extra marks used to indicate the vowels above or below the text in certain cases. And so the you know the YHWH or YHVH depending on exactly how you translate that you know that gets written down but in Hebrew texts you'll usually see the vowels of Adonai written above the name of God to remind the reader to say Adonai even when the text is actually the name of God oh wow and what's interesting is this is where Jehovah comes from okay because Someone who did not know why those vowels were written there mistranslated that and took the consonants, the Y-H-W-H, and added the vowels of Adonai. Huh. And so you have that Yehovah. Huh. Yehovah or Jehovah is not actually a name for God. It's two names sort of muddled together. Weird. I knew the two the two words were related. I didn't know that that was how they were really related. That's really That's how you get Jehovah. There you go. Fun little linguistic fact. I've been in the church for most of my life, and this is the first time I've heard that. That is a fascinating bit of trivia. (laughs) There you go. Yeah, and it is trivia, but first of all, I just find that sort of thing fascinating. And second, it's the kind of thing you can have in a game like, oh, hey, uh, yeah, these these names just kind of got blurred together, and this is how. Easy thing to borrow to come up with something neat. To get back to the more theological aspects of this, though. When a name or title of a deity is reduced to just curse words, is only used for blasphemous purposes, that tends to be uniquely ugly. Yeah, you've we've spent a bunch of time talking about kind of some of the special linguistic techniques that are used to convey reverence, respect, adoration leading up to this. If you take like all of that and just kind of throw it away, that is nasty and wasteful and disrespectful in a way that other curse words mostly derived from like bodily functions, which may be disgusting, but aren't the same kind of like repellent, you know? Yeah, there, there's a difference between that sort of earthly foulness and that 
that spiritual foulness. Yeah. It is essentially slandering God. Yeah. Again, tying him to things that do not represent his nature in any way. I mean, that's what slander is, right? Yeah. You say this person is like does and is these horrible things. Well, when you're saying that about God, that's far worse. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we've talked about that enough to get on with. We're going to keep coming back to it because this is a surprisingly complex topic. But I do want to move on to how to use this in role-playing games. Okay, so first, it's not at all inauthentic to have rough people use rough language. Um, you've got your pirates, your outlaws, your dockhands, your sailors, veteran soldiers, and people who have just been stepped on a lot by life are going to have kind of a hard-bitten view of the world. Um, they can be skeptical. They can be actually maltheistic, which means they think God or the gods are evil, depending on your setting. Yeah, God's out to get me in particular. Mm-hmm. And they'll use coarse language for the rise it gets to indicate that they mean business, to verbally kick the religious establishment, or out of genuine anger at the divine, or sometimes a mix of all of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Often it's just an emphasis. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's worth pointing out that, did any of you ever play Planescape? The video game version or the actual, like, tabletop one? Probably both. <laughs> I did play Planescape Torment. I never got a chance to play in the D&D setting in a tabletop context. Do you remember the crazy slang that they came up with for Planescape? Some of it. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> I, I don't remember any of it specifically, but I remember that there were some characters in Planescape Torment, for example, that were almost impossible to follow because they had their own language. And it was full of this sort of swearing as emphasis. Yeah. Shadowrun actually does a lot of this as well. They, you know, they've, they've come up with all of these other swear words. Anytime you see like made up swear words, you kind of laugh a little bit. But even then, it starts to get a little uncomfortable if it's laid on really, really thickly. It's like, yeah, Firefly did that too, famously. Uh, Battlestar Galactica did that. Yeah. The fact that you don't necessarily directly relate emotionally to what they're saying sometimes doesn't matter, right? You pick up the emotional content. Be careful of that unless you're specifically trying to make people uncomfortable. And I don't generally recommend that. Yeah. 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 Now, names have power. And in a lot of supernatural settings, names have a great deal of power. And that's something you can get a lot of mileage out of. A thing that's popped up in a lot of, in most of the games that I've actually played, is the deities are listening. They, they aren't just absent, they are actually there. So when you actually bring up their name, you know, it, it's important. It gets their, their attention. Multiple times in games, we've had deities intervene in somebody's blasphemy. Uh, one particular story that, that I remember quite distinctly, in high school actually, there was this one character played by a player who has gotten much, much better about this since but his character was constantly, constantly like, oh no, the gods don't exist. The gods don't exist. And, and like, there were, I think, one or two clerics in the party who were like, dude, where do you think our powers come from? And he'd be like, no, 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 it's just all in your head. It's all in your head. And I think that was this was also probably partly a jab at the DM because this player was just a little bit confrontational about pretty much everything. Mm. So the GM just started um, making the gods graffiti his stuff with with things like, we can hear you, you know, or we are listening. It started off with like stuff being etched on his sword, and then it was written in like actually permanent ink across his forehead. We are actually here. <laughs> and just things like that. The player did not get the hint and eventually just sort of 
both parties sort of gave up on the dispute or whatever it was. But um, names have power. Like, if your players are going to start, you know, even just blaspheming against the gods in the game, have them show up and be like, excuse you. <laughs> What'd you just say about me? Yeah, that idea of always <laughs> listening, especially for the name, mm-hmm. is a really powerful one. And one I think is really common in fantasy and completely underutilized elsewhere. Oh, yeah. Certainly in fantasy, the unspeakable name is pretty common. And it's weird that we always reserve that for the villain. Something I think everybody who listens to this or any other podcast at this point can relate to. (laughs) There's a modern universal touchstone for this. Voldemort, right? He who must not be named. The name is so powerful that even though, to the best of anyone's knowledge, and okay, confession time, I only read the first four books. Yeah, yeah, I know. I <laughs> only watched the first three movies, so I'm right don't there like with Firefly you. or Jim Butcher. Sue me. Come on, bring it. <laughs> but you know, you're allowed your tastes, Philistine. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> um, Voldemort's name does not have any particular power, as far as I know, in the Harry Potter universe. But the name is so scary, people just don't say it. And that's prefigured by Sauron, for example, in the Lord of the Rings. People eventually say his name, but in the first what, first quarter, I'd say, of the Fellowship of the Ring, everybody's really careful not to say Sauron's name. And I I think until they get to Rivendell and, you know, it's like, okay, well, it's safe to say it here. And then after that, they kind of just say it Mm -hmm. all the time. Uh, There is one fun example I want to bring up. Roger Zelazny wrote a a pretty decent book uh, called Jack of Shadows. And this is not much of a spoiler because it happens in like the first chapter. There are two characters talking. One of them is uh, some knight, hero, whatever. And the other is, uh, I want to say a king or lord. I don't recall exactly. And Jack of Shadows is this assassin-y sort of character. And the first guy's trying to warn this king, Jack of Shadows is coming after you. But he says, listen, somebody's trying to kill you. Oh, well, who is it? Let's go outside. Because I don't want to say his name in this tent. We need to say his name in the sun, or he will hear us. Oh. Huh. And not only will he hear us, he'll then be able to listen in on everything else we say. And that's a really cool power to tie into a name. Mm-hmm. You, know, you say the name and anywhere in the world he hears it and then can listen. You know, even like can listen to the next 25 words you say or something. Or just the rest of that conversation or something. Yeah, yeah. even if it's limited, it's, oh, somebody said my name. And I've seen this crop up once or twice, probably from people who've read Jack of Shadows. I've seen this crop up in a couple of games here and there. But it's a fun thing, I think, to give to a player because you can just hand them little notes like, hey, you heard this. And it may be completely irrelevant. It might be somebody else talking about you, you know, like, oh, yeah, this guy saved us. It was great. Or you know, so-and-so will pay for his uh, crimes when we ambush him at, right? Yeah. yeah, And you stop there, and then it's like, oh, what is this? Okay, <laughs> fine. I know there's an ambush coming, I'll just keep an eye out. You get to play around with that. Mm-hmm. Another thing that happens in uh, older fantasy and, and fairy tales, it's like, don't give anybody your t- full name or oh, your yeah. true name, especially fairies and witches, because they sure as heck aren't going to give you their full name, because names have a lot of power. It also applies a- in a lot of fiction to... Uh, demons like if you have a demon's full name you can banish them or you can summon them at will yep. uh, not recommended for you know your lawful good Heroic campaign or anything or but uh, characters yeah yeah but well, um yes and no because you get i mean you see this in the rumpelstiltskin story mm. 
as soon as the princess says Rumpelstiltskin's name, he, you know, screams, ah, you cheated, you cheated, and then gets sucked down into the earth. Yeah. Yeah. That's the power of the name. That's a case where just knowing the name and saying it out loud is enough to break the spell, as it were. You, you break free of this trap that you're in. Yeah. In real life, sort of like getting a diagnosis for a disease that you didn't have a name for previously. Like, um, for me at least, finding out that I had generalized anxiety disorder was just like, oh, there's a name for this thing, now I can control it. Yeah. That kind of thing is very powerful. And you see that too with real investigations, for example. Mm-hmm. You dig through all the aliases, and when you find somebody's real name, all of a sudden, at least in most cases, oh, we're so much closer to catching this guy. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. you know who he is. Right, yeah. exactly. And you see that too in a lot of, say, dramatized versions of those investigations as well, right? And how often is it, oh, you know, here's so-and-so, the the biggest outlaw in the West. Well, you find his real name, and all of a sudden he's just not as scary, no matter what the real name is. Yeah, it's interesting. This, um, if it has a name, we can find it. Is one of those phrases that kind of goes, "If with uh, if it bleeds, we can kill it." You yeah. know, it's it's one of those things where it's like once you have this knowledge, it takes a lot of the maybe not the power away from the thing, but it sure makes it less scary. Yeah, because it's also now before it it was whatever made it scary. Plus, it was mysterious, and now it's not mysterious anymore. Uh, one way to get around this trope of this stuff kind of being malign, if you do want to use it in a reverent way with, with good powers in your game, is just kind of the trope of, I am not worthy or I am not yet worthy to speak that name. Uh, go back to the reverence, you know, it's like, yeah. me being who I am, my saying this, and this kind of gets back to uh, some of the catechism stuff that you read off at the beginning of the episode would somehow sully this particular name in the condition that I am in right now. Sure. I'd love to see a D&D cleric, for example, who never actually used the name of their god. Yeah. I think you might have, actually. <laughs> well, I don't know that Lambert has ever actually spoken his god's name out loud. Hmm. Maybe not. Other NPCs have. Yeah. I don't think he has. I, I, no, yeah, that's I mean, not intentional on my part, but... Yeah, and I think you have out of character, but you're right, and yeah. so that might be confusing me, but you are it's very possible. Certainly, it's to the point where if you said it, I could be like, yeah, that seems true. I wonder if I want to make that a thing now, actually. Well, you could, because the other op- you know thing that I was thinking about, I was thinking about this um, when I was out running an errand real quick today. It would be cool if you had a character like that who only spoke the name of their god when they were casting a spell or doing rituals, right? Because that was the only time... It was okay to do that because you're calling on that god, whereas the rest of the time when you're just being descriptive, talking about that god with other people, you use epithets, yeah. use titles, that sort of thing. And and it works because you're describing their nature, but the name is such a more intimate thing that it's reserved for special cases. Yeah, I think I may actually incorporate that into his character now that we've talked about this. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yay, instant role-playing texture. All right. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the other interesting thing is we've talked about all these other different story archetypes and tropes. We haven't talked about superhero stories. And the secret name is a critical part of most superhero stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Peter Parker doesn't want the world to know that he's Spider-Man. Right. And it's a big deal when somebody's secret identity is revealed. And giving out that secret identity, 
letting other people, other superheroes especially, know who you quote-unquote really are is a huge mark of trust. To get back to the, the Catholic catechism, the gift of a name belongs to the order of trust and intimacy. You know something else that's kind of interesting? The two superheroes that I know of who did not have secret identities but had public ones instead were both very straightforward, trustworthy, just kind of noble souls. Mm -hmm. One of the Flashes, I, I believe Barry Allen, his identity was public. It was it was just known to everybody. You know, he, he wore a mask as part of his costume, but everybody knew who was under it. And the other one is Captain America, who is actually like on the military rosters. And oh, yeah. that's his, you know, he Steve Rogers is known to be Captain America. Yeah. And there's one or two cases of characters who don't have a secret identity necessarily. Robot characters, for example. Yeah. Right. Sometimes they're just like, oh, you know, I'm just me. Yeah. yeah. Alien characters, too. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, depending on exactly who's writing the story, it may be, oh, I'm going to build myself a, an alternate robot body and, you know, live as a secret human for a little while, come up with a name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It kind of depends. But sometimes you get those who don't have that secret name and they're a little less than human, which is interesting in and of itself. Or they're exceptionally human, as in the first couple of examples that we gave. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, when Superman says, by the way, my name is really Clark Kent... He's opening up in a big way to whoever he's talking to. Yeah. Which is also interesting because that's one of two true names that he has. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's also Kal-El. Yeah, and it's there's a different true name for different people, you know, different authors of the Superman stories <laughs> and that sort of thing. But mm -hmm. And that that's a little more complicated. But generally speaking, I, I think you get the most emotional content out of it when he's giving Clark Kent out, not Kal-El. Everybody knows yeah. he's an alien. It's more interesting to think of him as a real person. Yeah, and the, yeah. the the thing that's interesting about the contrast between those two is one is his name of birth, and the second is kind of his name of choice and how he was raised and how he became who he is as a person as opposed to who he is as an entity, which kind of, to wrap things back around to the catechism stuff at the beginning— it's kind of like what your baptismal name is supposed to be, right? It's supposed yeah. to be some kind of a signifier of who you really are. And Yep. One other quick note on this. Names can also factor in pretty heavily, especially this idea of a true name or a name that should not be spoken loud, in a number of sci-fi settings. Especially something like dystopian science fiction. Mm-hmm. We're always listening, always monitoring. It may be that if you say somebody's name, that's recorded. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Every <laughs> algorithm suddenly trips. Yep. Yeah. Likewise, wouldn't it be interesting... Peter, have you played Paranoia? I have not, but I know it by <laughs> reputation. Jenny, Jenny have, have you? you? <laughs> uh, once or twice, yeah. Okay. So I've only played it once, but it's enough to get the general gist of it, right? You have your <laughs> friend computer who oversees all of Alpha Complex and is this intrusive, nearly omnipresent entity that you can talk to and generally get in trouble with all the time. Because Paranoia. And Paranoia is a fun game of screw over the rest of the party and try and get ahead. Mm -hmm. If you were playing a, a game where you're really getting powerful and getting into very trusted areas of Alpha Complex and that sort of thing, it would be interesting to know the true name, as it were, of Friend Computer. I could make an entire Paranoia campaign, if such a thing is possible, about finding <laughs> Which I'm out- I'm not sure it is. <laughs> yeah, you know, friend computer is this title. It's what everybody has to call it, right, to, to be respectful. I could easily say that, you know, the true name of friend computer is whatever process is running on the computers. 
friend.exe or whatever. <laughs> and once you know the process name, you can kill it. Yeah. I'm the task manager, probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Control-Alt-Delete, stop friend.exe. Oh, look, now we're free. <laughs> yeah, knowing the true name, as it were, of any AI, uh, you know, a Shadowrun AI, something like that. You can bring it in in a sci-fi setting as well. It's a little trickier because it doesn't have that same mythic resonance, but it is something you can pull from and bring those same tropes in in a different setting. And I think there's some value to that. Although, I don't know, man. The, like some of the stuff with uh, with Legion and the Geth in the last couple of Mass Effect games got pretty darn mythic in its yeah. resonance. Okay, that's fair. At some point, I'll have to play Mass Effect. Yeah, do that. Yeah. I own the first Mass Effect. I've talked about this in much earlier episodes. I owned a copy of uh, Mass Effect for the 360. Oh. My copy of the game is screwed up. Once I land on the first planet, I can keep playing until I die, at which point it reverts to that save point no matter what I do. Oh, dear. <sighs> oh, no. Yeah. So you uh, have a roguelike version of Mass Effect. Yeah. Yes. I have to play <laughs> no death, no stop. Can't power it off. Can't do anything. It's, all right, get to this point, and then mainline Red Bull until I finish the game without dying. <laughs> oh, wow. You can kind of do that if you ignore all other side quests. But it that's would take, no fun. Yeah, no. It'd be a task. Yeah, there are, there like, are some real good side quests in there. Yeah. yeah. I know. Like, I, know. I, I, yeah. I sat in with a friend playing it. We explored, you know, we played a bunch, but my copy is screwed up. Oh. <laughs> It's a weird bug, but there you go. Yeah. That's uh, that that copy must almost be like a collector's item or something. I have never heard of such a thing. It's yeah. really dumb. I hate it, but there you go. I hate it alongside of you, but I'm also intrigued by oh, it. I don't know how you screw that up, let me tell you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. think the disc was scratched, but whatever. Yeah. Anyway, back into the topic. Um get, getting sort of away from the names have power thing and more into the oath taking thing. If your players are going to swear oaths in the names of deities, um, whether those oaths are taken casually or seriously, get the deities involved directly. Like, you see this kind of thing a little bit in Greek mythology, where the gods and goddesses have direct involvement with the actions of a few select people. Uh, like in, uh, oh no, it's not the Odyssey, is it? Well, you've got the Iliad, the Odyssey, the Trials of Heracles, I mean. yeah. Um, they all get it's, involved it's directly one, in various ways in those. Yeah, it's the one at Troy specifically that I'm thinking of. I don't know why I can't remember the name of this myth. I feel silly. But um, I believe Athena gets involved really, really directly, as in, like, shows up and is like, hey, I am emotionally invested in you and your actions, and I really, really don't want Apollo to get his way, so I'm going to give you this blessing, all right? Great. Cheers. And then just... <laughs> you know, <laughs> leaves. So let, let them be directly involved. Like, I, I know that God is directly involved in my life. I know he has a vested interest in, you know, keeping me alive and healthy and stuff. Let that happen in your game, you know? Uh, yeah. Let them, let them be directly involved with the oaths. If your players are starting to stray a little bit away from the oath, you know, maybe maybe let the god show up and be like, that was really pushing the line a bit. Maybe maybe come back, come back a little bit, you know, just away from that dark place that you almost went to. That kind of thing. Uh, it happens in fiction and it can happen in your game too. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a, that's a very kind of cool way of doing it. 
You hear about like these prophetic dreams and stuff that people have in scripture, and this might be a really good place to use some of that kind of yeah. communication or something. Mm -hmm. I know that that was actually a thing that my mother was doing in one of her campaigns. She let, uh, I believe, a human character find a dwarven tome. He was reading through this tome, and it was essentially like this religious text, this deeply, deeply religious text. And the deeper he got into it, because he thought it was some sort of thing that would help him become a necromancer. But mom kept on giving him weird dreams. Like every time we made camp, she'd be like, all right, buddy, you, you, see, you see this in your dreams. And slowly she was going to actually, she was planning to turn him into a dwarf eventually if he kept on <laughs> studying the text uh, without the proper uh, reverence directed towards it. Because he was intending to use it for evil purposes. Speaking of evil purposes, I think you see this a lot in Lovecraftian stories and games as well. Mm -hmm. You know, saying a name by accident yeah. has power that you don't necessarily want to bring down on yourself in most yeah. cases yeah isn't haster the one that's supposed to show up if you say his name three times uh something like that yeah. uh i i don't know where that one comes from i'm not a huge I, I enjoy lovecraft's stories i am not familiar with the larger mythos and i'm just familiar with it by osmosis i have a collection of lovecraft here that i have never actually cracked <laughs> you should read them they are decent stories do we want to talk about Peter's backlog again? Do we? Yes, do we really? yes, I do. I'm going to keep adding to it. What I want you to do is get all your other stuff out of the way and start reading the stuff I recommend. Come on, Peter. <laughs> I, you know something? There's a very good chance that that's going to happen as soon as Peter graduates. I know, I know. So. <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Really. Oh, I know. I'm messing back. Mostly. <laughs> mostly, yeah. Um, I, I remember uh, role-playing public radio had a fun actual play of some Call of Cthulhu scenario. I think it was homebrew, I don't recall for sure. But at some point, somebody finds a spell, and not knowing what it is, he's sitting in the car, muddling through it, reading it out loud. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> oh. This is what white people do in horror movies! Don't do it! <laughs> yeah, and, and he's just kind of sitting in this car while someone else was driving, and he's just muttering... Just mutter, and I think they left it up to a role like, "Are you good enough to not read this out loud?" There's this pause. <laughs> oh dear, I don't know. Let's find out. Nope, nope, I'm not. He gets out, and you know his perception is horribly changed, and everything is awful. Yada yada yada. <laughs> but I love the idea of dropping that in and just being like, "Okay, do you read it?" Yeah. Do you read it out loud? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> and, and a good role player, I think, will jump on that and say, absolutely I do. I am yeah. not good enough to read that quietly. No, I'm real dumb. <laughs> because that's where the fun comes in. And I think specifically if you say, yeah, you know, this this has the name of a powerful figure in it. Or you see a text like, wait, this has the name of God. I should stop reading because I don't know what context this is in. And it seems like maybe it's a bad context. I don't want to say that out loud. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's valuable in and of itself. We're going pretty long, but I do want to talk very quickly about this commandment at the gaming table with real people. It deals with false oaths. We may have to tackle honesty as its own topic later, but I do want to talk about people who are using coarse language at the table. I am actually not horribly averse to it unless it's specific phrases, you know, usually involving God. But some people are made very uncomfortable by any coarse language. We yeah. kind of keep going back to the weaker brother 
conversation. But um, Matthew 18, 15 to 17 has another bit of advice on this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Going and talking to someone, saying, listen, this is bothering me or this is bothering other people at the table, that's important. Communication is important. We say this over and over. Communicate at the table, communicate with your players, and don't let things fester. Yeah. And it is probably appropriate to remind listeners that the Gentile tax collector is the person that that book that we just read from is named after. So there's mercy even yep. for them. Yeah. That that was uh, the Apostle Matthew, the Gentile tax collector. <laughs> or actually, no, I think he was a Jewish tax collector, but still, he was a tax collector. So if, if you are going to discuss it, always leave the door open for forgiveness. And if it does end up coming to the point where it's like, dude, I, I'm not going to let you come back to the table unless you quit doing this stuff. Always let them come back. Always, always leave that door open. And don't don't make it feel to the other person like you're ganging up on them to, you know, take it all out on them. Because peoples is peoples. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's pretty much it as far as this topic goes. I, again, I do want to come back to honesty at some point because I think we mm-hmm. could make a whole topic out of honesty. Mm-hmm. Let's just go well, add that to the topic document here. Yep. <laughs> you got that, Peter? Yep, I, I got it. Actually doing this, even though we're recording. Excellent. <laughs> While you do that, uh, let me remind everyone, first of all, thank you for listening. And if you want to help our show grow, get the word out about us, uh, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere else you can rate podcasts. And share us around. Sharing us around on social media is really, really helpful. Uh, Follow us on social media, too. We've been having a lot of really good conversations about topics on Twitter in particular. But, like, while we were recording, somebody commented on a Facebook post for our last episode and posted an extensive amount of information, you know, helping us out, talking about uh, some of the topics that we talked about. In particular, this was when we were talking about relics and holy items, and one of our Catholic listeners hopped in to kind of fill us in on canon law and little things that we got wrong things that we got right some interesting stories i mean this is i think probably a dozen paragraphs specifically asked them and they responded yay Yay. i know well (laughs) it's because our listeners are awesome Mm -hmm. it is i shouldn't be surprised and i'm not really but i am grateful yeah and those are the kind of conversations we have on social media with our listeners and we love it because it's great oh yeah. yeah so first of all thomas thank you great post And for everyone else who interacts with us all the time on social media, thank you. We love that because we get a ton out of it. And hopefully our listeners who follow us on social media also get more out of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I encourage you to follow us there. And like I said, spread us around, help us grow and kind of help get the word out. That does us a ton of good. Mm -hmm. From all of us here at Saving the Game, keep listening and have a good one. Take it easy and we'll catch you next time. See you later, folks. See ya. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. 
God bless, do good, and happy gaming.